Welcome to the Business Titans podcast, where we talk to titans of industry, absolute leaders in their field. And today we have a wonderful guest for you today. His name is Dr. Ivan Misner. He's the founder and chief visionary officer of BNI, the world's largest business networking organization with over 280,000 members in over, in over 10,000 BNI chapters worldwide, also responsible for over 14 billion in referrals, which is just an amazing number. Uh, he is dubbed the father of modern networking by both Forbes and CNN. Dr. Misner is considered to be one of the world's leading experts on business networking. He's also a keynote speaker of the New York Times bestselling author who has written 26 books. So for those of you who struggle to get out of bed in the morning, this guy jumps out of bed and writes books in his sleep. So welcome, Dr. Ivan. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Oscar. And please call me Ivan. Um, it's fine. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, look, let, let, let's jump straight into the meat. I mean, part of this uh, interview process is interviewing absolute leaders in their field, getting to getting to know what's under the hood, uh, maybe some of the learning, some of the teachings that you've that you've learned. Now, last week, we interviewed the Picasso of journalism, I'm going to call you the Usain Bolt of networking, you've just really sprinted and, and gone to the top. When you first started BNI, Ivan, I mean, was, was this your vision? Did you ever think we're going to have so many members around the world, there's going to be lots of money passed between members? Was that the vision? You know, first of all, thank you for the Hussein Bolt. That's a that's a, a, a quite a, a privilege. I appreciate that. Uh, to answer your question, uh, I, I'd have to say no. I mean, I'd be fibbing to you if I said that I had this vision of an international organization. And by the way, the trailing uh, last year it was it was um, a little over fourteen billion, but trailing twelve months from today, we generated eighteen billion with a B eighteen billion dollars worth of business for our members worldwide. Um, no, Oscar, the truth is I just needed some referrals from my consulting practice. And I put together a group of people that I trusted. Uh, I hoped that they would be, they would trust me enough to refer me. I trusted them enough to refer them. And someone came who couldn't join that group. And she said, this is great. Would you help me open up a second group? And I, and I said, well, no, this isn't what I do. I'm a business consultant. And she said, well, this is kind of consulting. And she talked me into it. We opened up a second group and then a third and then a fourth and then a fifth. And my Brody moment, uh, let me explain the Brody moment. You ever see the movie Jaws? Mm, yeah. So Sheriff Brody, towards the end of the uh, movie, walks into the captain's um, area of the boat and he says to the captain, we're going to need a bigger boat because <laughs> he just saw the shark, right? So my Brody moment where I thought, oh man, we're going to need a bigger boat was uh, the end of that year where we had opened 20 chapters without even trying. Wow. And I had realized that I had struck a chord in the business community that I didn't anticipate. I mean, I, I knew I needed referrals, but what I learned was that almost every business is looking for referrals. And so it was at that point that I created the plan to take, take the business literally out of my garage and above my garage to global, take a garage to global and uh, scale the business to now an international operation with more than 10,000 groups in 70 countries. It's amazing because you know, when, you, when you look at the importance of vision in an organization, it, it is of utmost importance. But in, in your case, it was really right place, right time, serving the right need, having the right community or the right network around you. Now, we all yeah, here can, in- Can I say that I think it's a yeah. little bit of both. It, it certainly was, uh, BNI is a great example of necessity being the mother of invention. 
that I needed it. I didn't realize other people needed it. And so we, we ran with it. But I could have very easily at the end of that year go, yeah, this isn't what I'm, or I could, when the woman said to me, hey, help me open up another group, I could have said no. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, I did say no at first, but she talked me into it. So yeah, I think at some point early on, you need to create a vision of where you want your company to go. And just six months later, middle of 1986, I was doing calculations for about three or four months uh, on how many chapters B and I could have someday. And in June of 86, I, and then this is back in the days where you had to go to the library. You know, there was yeah. no thing like Monsieur Google where you could just Google stuff. <laughs> I had to go to a university library that I was teaching at. And, you know, once a week I would do some number crunching and, and check out books to figure out how many cities there are, what the population is. And I figured that it was possible to maybe have 10,000 chapters someday, 10,000. And I said to a friend of mine, I think BNI someday could have 10,000 chapters. And he said to me, now this is the year and a half in. He said, and how many chapters do you have now, Ivan? I said, well, we have 30. He said, you have 30. And you think you could have 10,000? I said, yeah, I think it's possible. He said, well, it's good to have goals. I've been very good to have goals. And so I think having that big vision early on is, is really important. And sure enough, last year, 2020, craziest year ever, uh, we passed the 10,000 chapter mark. Wow. Congratulations. That's fantastic. I love, I love speaking to people that their, their visions come to life. I mean, there's nothing more um, inspiring than, than, than speaking to people that have actually set a vision and walked the treacherous path of making that vision come true. And, and I say treacherous, treacherous path for a reason. And, yeah. and we'll touch on that in a moment. Um, so we, we hear a lot in high performance circles, Ivan, that your network is your net worth. And I don't think we've deployed scientists to really test that theory. But from your perspective, is that a fundamental truth about business and life that your network is your net worth? It is. There's no question about it. And there are a lot of books that talk about that. The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey, The Wisdom of Crowds, talks about uh, how uh, trust is an integral element of business. There are many books that have talked about it. Certainly most of my books have. The challenge, Oscar, is that we don't teach this in colleges and universities mm. anywhere in the world. We don't teach emotional intelligence, social capital, business networking, it's just not taught. And so we, we give kids a bachelor's degree in marketing and they have no idea how to network. Uh, you know, they just know how to do social media and they know how to do big advertising campaigns, but they don't, they don't even teach them sales in school. Yeah. And, and I, I think there's a reason for it. Most university professors, full-time tenured professors have never had a real job in their life. They've never run a company. Yeah. They teach business, but they've never run a major business. And, and so the, heaven forbid that they get their hands dirty and make a sale. <laughs> and so, you know, they don't teach sales. That's why, you know, people get a marketing degree. They go out and they have to take a, a you know, a Brian Tracy uh, sales seminar uh, and, and because they don't know how to sell. And if they don't know how to sell, they certainly don't know how to network. And I think that's a travesty in our, in our business schools. Yeah, absolutely. And so speaking of, of network, I know that you've been to Necker Island, I believe it's three times now to spend some time. I have, you, you, good research. Yeah, I'm, I'm headed back a fourth time in October. Really? That's great. I love it. I, I I'll, tell, I'll, I'll tell Richard you said hi. Yeah, yeah, please do. It's one of my... Uh, one of my goals to spend some time over there when I get out of lockdown. Um, so, I mean, you've gone through the effort of, of establishing your own really powerful networks. 
you're, you're still going through the effort of, of connecting into other networks like Richard Branson. For you at a, at a personal level, what has what spending time with Richard Branson done for you personally, Ivan? Well, I mean, there's a, a couple of things. First of all, it is, um, you, you know, it, it, it helps with credibility. You know, when you are able to spend time with somebody as well known as him, um, I've been very blessed that he was willing to do uh, videos a couple of times. So if you go to my blog at ivanmeisner.com, you'll see Richard and I do uh, a couple of videos together. Um, but he's also, you know, getting to know him has given me an opportunity to do things that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. I, I saw the launch of um, the white, uh, the rollout, I should say, of the White Knight 2, the mothership that took his spaceship up into space. Uh, I saw the rollout of the spaceship um, many years ago. I have been invited to Necker because of, you know, having been there once, uh, got invited back. I'm doing an Antarctic expedition um, at the end of the year because of the connection I've made there. So I've just had some amazing life experiences and met some incredible people because of the relationship that I have built. And I I'm certainly am not buds with Richard. <laughs> he knows who I am, but uh, I don't want to misstate that, you know, we're close buddies. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And look, uh, Antarctic um, adventure does not sound uh, like it makes me want to jump out of bed. What's, what is it about that, that that's appealing to you, Ivan? I've been to every continent in the world except Antarctica. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to go to Antarctica. I'll have a BNI sign, a flag, uh, you know, a BNI meeting in, in Antarctica. I'm also going to see a solar eclipse. Wow. Uh, from uh, from the ocean in Antarctica. So I have a chance to see a solar eclipse. Um, and I have a chance to to actually you know step on Antarctica, and uh, it you know it's it's all about for me at this age. Uh, I it's about enjoying life, and you know I I started BNI thirty seven almost thirty seven years ago. Uh, BNI has been very successful. Uh, it's you know I ran the company for for 30 years before I handed it over to somebody else. And, and this part of my life is about doing the things I love, which, okay. I think an entrepreneur is either working in their flame yeah. or working in their wax. And when they're working in their flame, they're on fire. They're excited. They love what they're doing. You can hear it in their voice. You can see it in the way they behave. When they're working in their wax, it takes all their energy away. Mm. You can see that in the way they behave. You can hear that in their voice. This is my flame. Interviews like this, it's my flame. Speaking, pouring into members, that's my flame. And, um, and so that's what I get to do now with BNI. You know, 99% of my time is in my flame. And now is the opportunity for me to do some personal things in my flame and to enjoy your life and go to Antarctica and go back to Necker. <laughs> I love it. You know, I, I tell people I'm a 20 year overnight success. It took me 20 years to build a really successful company. 20 years that, that so let, let, we, we, I touched on the fact that when you have a large vision sometimes the reconciliation between the, the reality and the vision can cause a lot of friction a lot of emotional heartache a lot of uh, dissatisfaction with life I, I know I've definitely been there myself 
How do, how do you reconcile that, Ivan? You know, for someone that's going through the trenches and, and has this big vision to either change the world or to grow a very large company, what's your advice for those people that are still in the middle of that uh, apex? Well, let's let's talk about changing the world and then let's talk about growing the company. Um, I, I think, you know, my vision of changing the world, and that's our vision statement, actually, for BNI, is changing the way the world does business. Um, I believe that as an individual, I may not be able to make a world of difference, but I can make a difference in the world. And you do that uh, one person at a time. And that's what my vision has always been with BNI. It's one group at a time, one person at a time. And over a long period of time, you impact a, a larger portion of the world. And for me, the way to do that from a business perspective is to make sure um, and do six things a thousand times, mm. not a thousand things six times. And most business people that I meet are doing a thousand things six times. Yeah. They're constantly chasing bright, shiny objects instead of focusing on doing what they know works and doing it over and over and over again consistently. Now, how do they know what works? You go to shows like yours. You listen to people who resonate with you, who have experience. They've got experience, you know, not the, not the tenured professors who haven't run a major company, but the people who have experience. And you pick them from shows like yours, from YouTube, from books, they become your virtual mentors. And, um, and from that, you do six things a thousand times. And by the way, it doesn't have to be six, it could be five, it could be seven, but it's a handful of things that you do over and over and over again. The goal being to get to be working in your flame more than your wax. Yeah, that, that's, that's powerful advice uh, because I, I see it as well. Uh, everywhere I go and with everything that I do is that everybody's trying to do too much and it's about narrowing yes. that focus. Yes. I now, keep this. I keep this right here for for interviews like this. It's people are constantly chasing these bright shiny objects, going, "Oh, look at that! Let's try this idea. Let's try that idea," instead of figuring out a handful of things again from people that they trust that they've learned from, and then and then doing it over and over and over again. Yes. And that's hard for entrepreneurs because they're you know constantly want to do new things. Yeah. And, and it's tough because there's, there's many different philosophies on this. One philosophy is that there is a certain way to operate and act in the world in order to attain the success that you dream of. The other, the other philosophy is to find out what your flame is based on your own personality style, based on your own propensity for, uh, for interest, let's say. What, what, what do you think is more important? Is it, is it taking the frameworks that are established, for instance, you know, you have to be networking. You have to be out there selling. Like these, these are the two of the fundamentals that yeah. really grow business more than anything else. If there are business owners that are out there that are more sleep energy, that they, they can't be bothered meeting new people, they don't like sales, would your advice to them be, well, we'll, we'll push into your flame and do what you love to do and figure out what that is and continue doing well, it or get well, good no, at it? Yeah. It wouldn't. Um, here's, here's my advice. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get to do what you want to do. And there were years where I was doing things that wasn't in my flame, but I had a goal, I had a vision. And in order to get there, uh, I had to, I had to step up. And, you know, I, I would tell people buck up buttercup, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to develop the skill set. And you don't have to be the best, you don't have to be the greatest networker ever. But look, if you aren't if you're not focusing on building a powerful personal network, it's going to be really difficult for you 
to be successful unless you build a powerful personal network. And, and there are ways to do that to, that allow you to stay in integrity. You gotta do some sales if you wanna build a company. And you know, if you say, well, I don't wanna do that, I'm gonna let, let somebody else do it, then good luck with that, you know? Yeah. Good luck with that. Um, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do to get to do what you wanna do. I love that, I love that. And it's something uh, that, that we're living through right now is, you know, do you, do you push people to do what's uncomfortable for them or do you, do you, you know, tell them to double down on their strengths or do you, do you, you know, do you expand their, their comfort zone by making them do the things they're weak at? So that's really helpful, Ivan. Yeah, I think, I think it's a, a little bit of both. You certainly want people to, to work their strength, but sometimes you got to get outside your comfort zone, uh, especially if you're the owner of a company you got to get outside your comfort zone. There are areas of the business, for example, accounting, bookkeeping. I hated bookkeeping, but I did it for a number of years because I couldn't afford a bookkeeper. So one of the first people that I hired when I could afford to hire a bookkeeper was an, a, a, you know, a bookkeeper. It was one of the first positions that I got outside of my core employees. And, but when I hired that person, I knew what I was doing. I knew bookkeeping, at least, you know, at least enough to manage that person. And so it came with me to be able to hire somebody else. And then I hired somebody else and I hired somebody else until then, you know, I had to do it myself. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. And so, so powerful. Um, so 26 books. I mean, I, I've written two books and, and I think I've gotten... 90% of the way through the third book, but the idea keeps expanding. I keep wanting to add more and add more. How, what are some of your tips, Ivan, to, to really become a disciplined author and to get books out there? I mean, 26 is a, is a, is a, is a marvelous number. Two, two things. First, let's talk about your book. Um, stop adding stuff. Yeah. You can do a second edition. Yeah. As a matter of fact, almost every book, well, many of the books I've done as soon as they went to print, I thought, man, I wish I would have included this. Mm -hmm. So I actually keep um, a digital file of all the great ideas I have for a second edition. So two years later, I start working on, with some of my books, I'll start working on a second edition. And that's where I get to add a lot of stuff. But I'm adding more stuff when I have a better idea of how the stuff I actually published is working. Because... Oftentimes I'll take stuff out of the first edition because it didn't work as well as I thought. So, you know, figure out what you want, cut it off, publish it, do a second edition. Now, how did I do 26? After I did three or four books, I started doing co-authors with all my books. So my co-authors come in with new content, new ideas, a new spin on one of my ideas. And so it's so much easier you know, I, I I would say at least 22 of my 26 books were co-authored. That's fantastic. It also, it also gives a sense of diversity. Um, you know, I many of my books were done with women, which brings a different perspective to networking and relationships. Uh, many of them were done with um, uh, Latino, Hispanic, or um, African American, or um, Middle Eastern, and and when you See, networks are by nature clumpy. That's the technical term. Yeah. They're, they're cluster-like. We tend to hang out with people like ourselves. And that's 
a mistake because when you have a your when your network has in it people who are different than you and it doesn't have to just be ethnicity it could be age gender uh, uh, demographic social econ economic differences when you have people that are different than you in your network you have connectors who connect you to other clumps to other clusters of people so many of my co-authors um, are diverse because they bring to the table ideas that were outside my paradigm hmm. and that's how i've been able to do 26 books yeah, that's that's wonderful. If there's something I'm going to implement from this, it's it's definitely to find some co-authors. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's a good way to scale as well through partnerships. Um, so let, let's talk masterminds for a sec. Do you do you have ideas as to what a, what a powerful mastermind looks like? And if people are out there going, you know what, I really just want to, one thing they can do is obviously join BNI, but we we should be out there networking a lot more. What 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 does a great mastermind look like to you, Ivan? Well, are you talking about an actual organization doing masterminding? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. Either an organizational mastermind or someone that just wants to develop a better personal network uh, and, and bring people that are, let's say, more successful than them to the table. How would they structure that mastermind? What, what should they talk about and what should the intent be? Well, I think one of the things they should consider is uh, to make sure a network up. Yeah. Uh, you know, networking up is, uh, you know, about networking with people that are um, above your weight class. And the more you can do that, the better. When I started BNI uh, in 1985, I was the youngest person in the group. I was 28. Every single member was older than me, except one, which was just, you know, like six months, a year older than me. And the rest were all in their 30s and 40s. One was in their 50s. And so, um, you know, I was networking up. I was networking. So wherever you are, try to bring people into your network. Some of them that are in a higher weight class than you in terms of success. Now that doesn't mean, and this is important. I'm not saying just network up. You need to network peer to peer. You need to network down because you never know. Do you know how I met Richard Branson? Yeah. I met Richard Branson because of a solopreneur business coach who introduced me to somebody, who introduced me to somebody, who introduced me to somebody. And all along the way, I call this the butterfly effect of networking, who introduced me to somebody. And every step of the way, I'm networking up until finally I got in, introduced and, and invited to Necker Island. But it came originally almost three years earlier from an invitation or a connection from a solopreneur business coach who was less successful than me. So don't just network up. But if you want to build a, network, a, a real mastermind, think of diversity, think of age, think of uh, ethnicity, and think of networking up. People who are even more successful than you. And, and then you create that mastermind. And what you have is, in a sense, you, you make sure that you don't get caught up in group think, mm. which is a political science concept introduced decades ago about, you know, if you surround yourself with people that are just thinking like you, you're going to get, you're going to get bad answers, bad answers, because you're all looking at the problem from the same direction. What you want are people looking at the issues from different directions. And that's what helps to create an amazing mastermind, in my opinion, and an amazing network. Yeah, that's so powerful. So let's say you do bring those people to the table 
and and you're able to find those established networks and people that are you know above your weight class what what then i mean do you do you structure a, a specific conversation is it an open forum or well, what's your recommendation well, I think, um, you know, it really depends on what the mission of the organization is. BNI is not a mastermind group or a referral group. Now, there's certainly mastermind elements of what happens, but our focus is on referrals. Um, I'm not an expert in putting together masterminds, but if I were to do that, I would probably have a combination of structure, because if you don't have some structure, it becomes a coffee clatch, becomes very social. Yeah. So I would probably have a combination of structure and mastermind, uh, uh, open uh, as a matter of fact, there's a concept uh, called open space. And if you have you ever heard of open space? I haven't. I would urge you to do a, an internet search on the concept of open space. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of content on it. There was a book written about it. And open space is a great technique to have open dialogue with a little bit of structure, just enough structure to make it not become totally social. Yeah. But not so much structure that it's like, ah, oh, it's the same old meeting. Yeah. Open space. It's actually a masterminding technique. Okay. Um, so I would have structure and I would have openness, but I would do it with something like open space, which I participated in dozens of times. And it's really powerful. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks for that. Um, so you, you've coined the, let's call it the system, the framework, the whatever it may be, VCP, visibility. Um, credibility. You can, yeah, credibility and profitability. Right. And help, our, help our viewers understand that your framework for networking success. Yeah, it's the foundation of every single thing I teach, VCP. If you don't get VCP right, uh, nothing you do is going to work effectively. You, you gotta get that right. What tends to happen is that people use networking as a face-to-face -face cold calling opportunity. Hi, Oscar, my name's Ivan, let's do business. Or here's my cards, you know, pass them around. And they go right into face-to-face -face cold calling. And um, that is just not what networking is about. Networking is about building relationships, which means that you first have to be visible. People have to know who you are and what you do. Then you establish credibility. That's where people know who you are. They know what you do. They know you're good at it. You've established credibility. And that one takes time. Then and only then can you get to profitability where people know who you are. They know what you do. They know you're good at it. And they're willing to refer you to other people because they trust you. What tends to happen is people, um, they start at a fourth phase that I haven't mentioned yet, invisibility. And they try to jump over visibility. They try to jump over credibility. They try to get right to profitability, which in one of my books we call premature solicitation, which you don't want to say fast three times. It'll get you in trouble. Um, where, you know, they're just jumping over everything to get, to get right to making the sale. And uh, that's, if you're networking like that, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Networking is all about building relationships with people. Networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. It's about cultivating relationships. Now, it's really important to understand that the VCP is not a formula, it's a process. Mm. You know, visibility plus credibility may not equal profitability unless you do it right. Yeah. You, you hit visibility, then you move to credibility and from credibility, you can move to profitability. It's a process, not a formula. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it takes patience because a lot of people, a, a lot of times, especially, you know, I, I float a lot in the in the executive circles, Ivan, and coach a lot of executives to meet other executives to build strategic partnerships. And I see so many times where the executive at 
A company just wants to get to executive at B company and just tell them all the things. And it's like, you shouldn't talk so much. You should, you should really listen and ask questions and be curious. And, and in my world, the person that is listening is the person that they're selling. And so people really need to learn to harness their, or to, to bridle their tongue, let's say, to tame it like a stallion. Part of the reason I think, and I'd love your insight on this, Ivan, is that sometimes people talk too much because they're insecure or they're worried about what people think about them. And, and part of my technique for networking is learn to deal with all that stuff, all that insecurity, all the mental chatter and become wildly curious and, and inquisitive about the other person. Have you got any other more EQ type of advice for people that want to enter into these network arenas? First of all, I agree with you completely. I think it's more important to be interested than interesting. Yeah. And a good networker has two ears and one mouth and should be using them both proportionately. You should be paying attention to what people have to say. Ask questions. A good networker is like an interviewer. Oscar, you're asking me questions and you're giving me a chance to elaborate. And that's what a good networker is. A good networker asks questions and gets the other person to elaborate. And then as you get to know each other, that that can reverse where they're asking you questions and you talk about yourself, but a really good networker uh, listens more than they talk. And, and I think sometimes one of the reasons that uh, people um, are, they don't like networking is they're oftentimes introverts. And so they think that extroverts are better at networking, not necessarily true. Extroverts are great at meeting people and they're great at talking, but what, Oscar, what's their favorite subject? <laughs> No idea. <laughs> themselves. Yeah, so they exactly. Talk, they talk about themselves. So, um, so, so they just people assume that an extrovert's a great networker. That's not true. An extrovert is great at meeting people, but they have to learn to listen. An introvert has a harder time meeting people, but they're great at listening. Mm. So both have a strength and both have a weakness. They need to learn how to deal with that weakness and run with their strength. Um, so introverts can be great at networking. They just have to learn how to connect with people better. And, and I talk about a lot of techniques, like when you go to a networking event, don't go alone, go with somebody who's been to that networking event and can introduce you to other people. That's great for introverts. Extroverts have no problem meeting people, but the introverts do. But once they meet somebody, then they're much better naturally at asking questions and listening. Yeah, wonderful. What, what advice would you give to young Ivan? Well, you know, it's funny, the more gray hair I get, the more I'm asked that, that question. Um, I would say, um, continue to live your values. Your values will become even more important to you as you get older. And um, just stand strong in your values and you'll do well. And I think I don't think as a young Ivan, I really thought about how important my value, I had values very much like today, very similar kinds of values as today. But as I got older, the more I realized that the, that the values that I held had to be held like a zealot, you know, hold strong. And, and so that's what I would say. And I would, I would also say, don't worry about make, making mistakes. You're going to screw up. It's okay. Mm. Just, just, Figure out that you made a mistake as soon as possible, make it right, and move forward. So yeah. don't worry about making mistakes. I love that. And, and, and 
beliefs what i what i know just from various interviews and, and and reading a ton of books is that values and beliefs can be used interchangeably Let, let's unpack values a little bit more what 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 do values mean to you and and what are some of examples of some values that you hold dear to you well so some of the ones that i created within bni that are core to me as an individual core to bni first and foremost would be um our organizational principal core value of a giver's game. The idea that if you help other people succeed, they're going to help you succeed. And that is um, inculcated into the DNA of BNI, this mm -hmm. philosophy of giver's game. I think lifelong learning is one of my personal values. Um, you know, always be educating, teaching yourself. Uh, new things, uh, building relationships that you really want to build success. You, you know, you, it's all about building relationships, uh, recognition, accountability. Um, uh, these are all some of the values that I have personally that I've incorporated into BNI that I think, I think they're critical. And living those values uh, becomes critical. Here's here's another one that's unusual: traditions plus innovation. I like that your one. Traditions, your traditions tell you who you are as a tribe, but innovation tells you where you want to go. Mm. And as long as you stay true to your, to your core traditions, it's okay to also innovate. And so uh, I actually have that as one core value so that people don't think one's more important than the other. They are both important traditions plus innovation. Mm. That's so powerful. And, and is it hard to live your values, Ivan? I mean, for someone that wants to uh, achieve all they can achieve in their life and unfold their potential, I think documenting values is, is, is a really important thing to do, to actually write these things down and, and start to incorporate them into your DNA, into your mantra, into your belief system. Is it hard to follow your values? I think people who don't understand how important the values are would say yes to that. People who do understand how important their values are have seen the results of not holding firm to your values. And they would say, oh, no, it's easy to do. Because when you don't, you end up having more problems on the back end. Like I'll take any client, I don't care. You know, if they've got money, I'll take them. And, and then later on, they're like, oh man, I should have never taken this client. I knew it at the time, but they've turned into more headache than, um, than I anticipated. So no, I think the better you get at it. And, and I wrote a book on this, um, Oscar, called Who's in Your Room? You want two minutes on the concept? Yeah, please. You froze on me. Do you, would you like two uh, minutes on the yes, concept? Yes, please. Yes, please. Yeah. So, so here's the concept. Imagine that you live your life in one room. And that one room has only one door. And that one door is an enter only door so that when people come into your room or into your life, they're there forever. You can never get them out. Now, Oscar, um, it's a metaphor, but if it were true, would you be different about the people that you've let into your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, everybody says that. So <laughs> our question in the book was then why aren't we uh, more selective about who we let into our life? Because I believe it's more than a, a metaphor. So if you're watching or listening to this, I, and, and Oscar, I want you to think of someone. And if you're watching or listening, I want you to also think of someone that you got out of your life because people say, it's a metaphor. I can get them out of my life. So I want you to think of somebody that you got out of your life. Now, you don't have to name who it is. I'm not going to ask you to name it, name the person. But I want you to think about why you wanted them out of your life. 
uh, and what they did that had you uh, get them out of your life. And so do you have somebody in mind? Yeah. All right. I want you to think about what they did and how it just made you so angry. You got it? Yeah. Yeah, right? I got it. <laughs> so if they're still in your head, they're still in your room. Mm. And they will be for the rest of your life. Because every decision that you'll make in the future will uh, be impacted by the people who have done things in your life that were both good and bad. So I would argue that it's more than a metaphor. Their fingerprints are all over your brain and will be forever. And so with the book, what we talk about, first and foremost, is you got to get good with your values so that you can know who to let in your room, who not to let in your room. And then later, you got to think about how do you deal with the ones that you've let into your life um, and let into your room? How do you, you can't get them out of your head, but you can get them out of your life. And how do you do that uh, appropriately? Yeah, I, I, I love that. I mean, the other, the other day I posted on social media, what do you wish was taught in school and, and weren't? And I was surprised by the amount of, you know, streams of comments, just people giving ideas. And, and what you've said just then is, is something I wish that they taught in school because it's so, it's, it's so important to understand how to, how to deal with people firstly, but also what you accept as a human being that is uh, susceptible to the environment. We, we shift, we morph, our belief systems change, our value systems change depending on who we allow into our lives. And so yes. that little powerful concept right there uh, is, is something that everybody needs to take away from this interview and implement and go, okay, from now on, who am I gonna let in my room and be very careful about that? Cause you're right, once they come in, they're in for, forever. They're in, they may not be in your life, but they're, they're, they're in your head forever. And some of them may still be in your life because you know you don't know how to deal with them. You know, one of the things that we talk about in the book is that you know they, they, they may be in your room, but their baggage doesn't have to be. Mm. And you can have yeah. conversations with them about how they leave the baggage out. If they're gonna be, if they're gonna be in your life, they gotta, they gotta leave the baggage out. And uh, there are some tough conversations. We talk a little bit about how to do that. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And so for you, Ivan, I mean, you, you've achieved such a wonderful level of success and I do appreciate you, you spending your time with us here today. What, what is it that drives you? What is it that motivates you? At a certain point, it's, it's no longer about the money. And sometimes, you know, at, at a smaller level, some entrepreneurs can go, I want to make a lot of money. At our, at our level, it's not, it's not really the, the drive. What, what is it that drives you, firstly? And, and how do you stay motivated? I, you know, to me, it was really never uh, uh, mostly about the money. I mean, I look, I, I, I like uh, the things I can do with money, but um, it was never really about the money. I, have, I own another company. It was a coaching company um, with referral marketing. And we all took a, a values test, a values instrument. And what's interesting was I was absolutely, as a partner, I was the, the wealthiest person in the partnership. But money uh, was the lowest factor of all the partners for me. It was the yeah. lowest factor for me. So I stay by having an opportunity to pour into people. I love, I, you know, I, I'm working in my flame and it's taken me a long time to be able to work this much just in my flame. But I love doing interviews like this. I love speaking to audiences, whether it's Zoom right now or whether it's in person uh, in the past and hopefully again in the future. Uh, it's about working in my flame and pouring into people. I like writing, but it's about doing the interviews that come from the books. That's I write so I can have an opportunity to do more interviews. Yeah, absolutely. You, you've got you've got a 
when you're pouring out in interviews, you're pouring out from the well you've created, but through the alone time and through the writing. And, and that's how you really develop that deep insight that you need to. That's to, a great way of putting it, Oscar. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, to, to live a, a life of high performance. Um, powerful, powerful stuff, powerful stuff. In terms of um, where, where you're headed and maybe maybe you could touch on your your business, or BNI at least, fundamentally was an in-person style of business. I mean, it was, let's call it bricks and mortar, right? Yeah. 10,000 in-person meetings every week. It, 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 it's, a, it's, it's a massive orchestration of people, time, resources uh, to meet face-to-face. Now the pandemic uh, struck and therefore we couldn't do face-to-face. What was that was that a stressful moment for you in 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 BNI? And then how did you, I guess, get out of that and adapt to take it to the next level? Well, the CEO of BNI, because uh, I handed the company over. I mean, I'm still highly involved in BNI, but I don't run the day-to-day operations. He was looking around a corner um, in January of last year, in January of 2020. He uh, transitioned all of our China operations to online. And then in February, he transitioned all of Italy. And then later in February, all of Europe. By March, we had transitioned 10,000 chapters from, well, actually it was about 9,600 or 700. So we grew, we're now at 10,400, I think. So we went, we opened 800 chapters in the last year and a half. Uh, but we, they're all, they're virtually all online now. Now, many, Many of them are gradually transitioning back to in-person, but most are still online. I think what's going to happen is that we'll end up with a hybrid when the dust settles from COVID and we're able to get together again. I think we'll probably have a hybrid of meeting online a certain number of weeks a month and meeting in person a certain number of weeks uh, a month because nothing beats, nothing beats the power of meeting face-to-face. Mm. Um, but that, that said, I think, I think it's inevitable because technology has changed. As a matter of fact, I wrote an article for Entrepreneur back in 2018 that said the future of, of face-to-face is online. Yeah, wow. I, I, but I didn't see COVID coming. I, I saw the technology coming and I didn't want BNI to be disrupted. Uh, you know, so many companies have been disrupted by technology. Did you know Kodak invented the digital camera? Mm. They had the patent and they're like, nobody's going to look at photographs on, on a computer. So, you know, let's license it. How'd that work for them? So I, you know, I didn't want BNI to be disrupted. I wanted BNI to lead the disruption. So I had been talking about uh, networking online for several years, for two years, at least three, one before I wrote the article. So three years before COVID so that at least I, I planted the seed but it was our CEO who ran with it. And uh, the company not only made it through COVID, we grew through COVID. So we have 36 years of consecutive growth. That's that's not too that's many companies phenomenal. can say that. Yeah, no, not many companies can say that. I mean, that, that, is, that is phenomenal. And that's the perfect example of tradition plus innovation. You've taken a, you, you've taken a, let's call it a bricks and mortar uh, business, pivoted it. I love the, 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 the notion of disrupt or be disrupted. I love that. So you've got to be disrupting yourself as an yes. organization. So, so people that are listening to this, you know, take, I always say that, that the amount of books on your shelf does not matter. It's, it's about what you implement that, that really matters. Um, as, as we wrap up you know, today. That, that is a great point, Oscar. I wrote a book called Masters of Success. And one of the key elements of it is that success 
is the uncommon application of common knowledge. Yes, absolutely. We, we all pretty much have a lot of the same ideas. It's how we apply those ideas that make a difference. Yeah. And some people say, what's the book that changed your life the most? And I say, if every book's not changing your life, then you're not doing it properly. Right. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> Oscar. I love that. That's, that's a great one. That's really good. I like it. You can take that one to the bank. No, I'm kidding. All right. Um, <laughs> awesome. So as, as we wrap up today, Ivan, what, what advice would you, would you give listeners or what, what's your, you know, what, what's your cornerstone piece of advice for people that really do want to live a better life. They want to take their life to the next level. They want to provide for their family, maybe even the communities, if they can stretch their vision that large. What would be your final piece of advice for, for, for our listeners? Well, I'd love people to come to my blog at ivanmeisner.com because I have a lot of these nuggets up there. My, my final piece of advice would be, um, you know, the old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. I don't think it's either, Oscar. I don't think it's what you know or who you know. It's how well you know each other. That really counts. It's how well you know each other. It's all about uh, going deep and building relationships with other people. And if you understand that concept of, of networking being all about building relationships, then um, you're going to do pretty well. And even introverts can network effectively if they if they look at it from a perspective of building relationships with people. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Ivan. So we're going to wrap up today. Thank you, everyone, for your time and tuning in today. Uh, I want you to go to Ivan and thank him for his generosity for his time today, because he's such he's full of such wisdom uh, and excitement about life. And you can clearly see he is working in his flame. Uh, and for those of you watching, do whatever it takes to work from a place of being in your flame, because that is one of the most important things for you to generate the maximum fulfillment in your life. So thank you very much, Ivan, for joining us today. Thank you, Oscar. I appreciate you having me. Thank you.